Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 20, Communications and Conversations. My name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today I'm joined by Alex, better known as Mojave Repeater. Alex is a Marine Corps veteran who served as a field radio operator who now strives to push the culture and education of communications to the civilian side of the house. So sit back, get your note-taking gear, and enjoy. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward yeah. Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Alright guys, welcome back to the podcast and Alex, welcome. Thank you. We got a, uh, this podcast is going to be another one over comms guys and uh, I have a few things listed to talk about but first Alex, if you want to go ahead and talk about who you are and what Mojave Repeater is and kind of give everybody a little background on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a communications guy in the Marine Corps, uh, served out here in 29 Palms with uh, 3rd Battalion 11th Marines. And while I was kind of getting ready to wrap up my active duty career, um, if you want to call it that, not much of a career, I served four years. But um, what, uh, as I was getting ready to wrap up, I basically decided that I wanted to start a business. Um, two, in my opinion, two of the most you know, American things that you could do are serve your country and start a business. So I built it around really the communication skills that I built while I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and we started by launching a flagship product, the Lunchbox Repeater, which is a basic analog simplex repeater, uh, you know, designed to operate with Baofeng radios or similar. Um, and it's really just taken off from there. You know, I've kind of grown into training courses, uh, radio resales, supporting consumers, commercial businesses, um, you know, law enforcement, military and stuff like that. So it's kind of surprised me and, and I'm just here for the ride. Awesome. Yeah, I think you were these when I was when I started diving into my kind of comms journey on the civilian side, there were two videos that I watched first that made me go, all right, it's time to upgrade my comms from Balfangs. And the first one was a video that Isaac did from T-Rex Arms. And then on the side, on the suggestion feed was yours. I think I think it was the intro to like upgraded comms or something along those lines. You talked about mm-hmm. a series of of like DMR and P25 radios. Um, and, yeah. that, and then that kind of just all snowballed from there. So glad to have you on here for sure. Definitely. Um, thank you. I guess I kind of want to dive into what Mojave Repeater is a little bit more because uh, you guys have some really great YouTube videos, but you guys don't have a ton out. So I kind of want to mm-hmm. give you guys that that little promotion a little bit. Uh, you know, where did the idea of classes come from versus you guys coming out with the lunchbox? Yeah. So, you know, I built, you know, I, I learned a lot of really valuable like skills and knowledge from the Marine Corps um, that I think like I was personally interested in my own preparedness, um, you know, post Marine Corps and like learning about radios and stuff like that. Um, what I could do and how I could apply those skills to the civilian world. Um, and really just the courses kind of grew out of that because I felt like, you know, I could speak to it relatively intelligently and, you know, share the things that I learned, um, while I was on active duty with a wider audience. 
So I really wanted to be able to package that and present it to uh, you know the civilian population um, in a way that can help them be more prepared for themselves, you know their team, whoever that may be, and their families. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know what can obviously comms is kind of something that's a lot newer to the civilian side as far as interest in gear and all that kind of stuff. So a comms class is even still newer in the grand scheme of things. So what kind of stuff can guys expect to learn at your class? What are you guys what are you guys trying to I guess what are the main objectives of the class? What should guys leave knowing? Yeah. So, you know, you can learn about like radio principles, RF fundamentals, uh, RF theory. You can learn that stuff in your own research and and things like that. I do teach it up front in the class. Um, you know, the first half of the class on, on day one is going to be really all science, right? All the scientific principles of radio waves, how they propagate and stuff like that. Um, now, the key value proposition, I think, um, in the class is the planning aspect. So that's one of the things that I took away from the Marines that I think and kind of adapted really for a civilian mindset is how to plan to employ your equipment effectively. Because really, you know, if you just have your Baofeng radio and that's where it ends, then that's not really being effective for you and you're not being effective for others. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to really drive home this planning aspect of things to be able to have an effective plan and know how to employ your equipment properly. And then we do that in the practical application on day two. You know, With a team of like-minded individuals, mm-hmm. you're able to uh, build your plan together as a team and then employ it on the second day, um, you know, out in a field environment. Mm-hmm. So that's really what you can expect to learn from the class. That's the uh, the whole concept of it. So with 311, you know, you talk about with the class, employing equipment, comms plans and all that. Were you with FOs? Were you on the gun line? Where was, where was the bulk of your uh, time in the field spent? So I was with headquarters. I was okay. S6. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, you know, the primary, like the whole thing, my whole job was really like planning for communications. And then with the gear at our disposal, you know, and the personnel at our disposal, implementing all of that, uh, to support the battalion's objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that goes down to, you know, the battery level or the company level for those who are more familiar from an in- infantry background, mm-hmm. um, being able to provide them with number one the communications pathways to be able to communicate with us mm-hmm. and then resource them with any equipment that they may need so you know with a high demand for communications and artillery uh, we were constantly at work you know in the field out of the field uh, doing s- stuff all the time with with yeah. com gear yeah i was with headquarters for my unit as well, which was a logistics regiment I got to work with Artie once when I did a Red Patchers exercise, but that was mm-hmm. something I talked about on the Civil Sentinel podcast um, when I was just on there was how field radio operators do so much more than just operate the radios. It's like you talked about getting that equipment to the point where it's employable with your unit, regardless of its size and supporting the overall infrastructure of comms. You know, mm-hmm. the RTO is such a wide role depending on where they're put. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and you mentioned, and we, we talked a little bit about Baofeng's, um, and I had this listed as later, but we, I kind of want to bring it up now because I guess it gets us a good starter point into the handhelds conversation is, 
for the civilian aspect, where do you see Baofeng's fitting? Because though, mm-hmm. I mean, I've said it a lot, it's not the end goal, but there ha- there is a place for Baofeng's. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, in my mind, like a Baofeng is an investment that you can make that you, you don't really have to cry over walking away from it at a later time, you know. Mm-hmm. And even if you do upgrade, you can still hold on to that. And it's a good thing to have in your back pocket just to be able to diversify your portfolio of equipment. Mm-hmm. So where I see them fitting in is really for the the starter, for the absolute beginner, to get that radio and to learn and understand how analog radio works mm-hmm. and to push that radio to its absolute capabilities and limitations to understand, you know, this is the amount of value that I can get out of this. But then when I upgrade, then I can actually see the improvement that I'm getting out of that new piece of gear, mm-hmm. right? So getting that radio and then actually training with it uh, to understand really well what its capabilities and limitations are and then move on from there. Mm-hmm. And analog really is a good foundation for learning more about radio. Um, so it's really easy to start with with something like a Baofeng. Mm-hmm. So I do recommend, you know, I still, there's a lot of hate for Baofengs out there. I still recommend that, you know, if you don't know where to begin to pick one up, um, and I still sell them for that reason, because I want people to be able to have access to, you know, that gear as a, mm-hmm. as a beginner. Yeah. The big, there's two big things that I think Baofengs kind of stay relevant for. Uh, the first one being, and it's something that me and all of my local buddies have implemented is now that we've upgraded to P25 on the Motorola huh. side. The Baofeng still serve a purpose as we still keep them programmed to somewhat of an extent we do our Motorola's and we use them as family handouts. Yes. Um, so all the guys that had one, two, three, four more Baofengs, now we just mass program them and now they're family handouts. You know, if you know, you can give one to your wife and you say, you know, this is for you to keep all the time. You may not want to invest a four or $500 radio into, into a family member, but you can give them something basic like an analog because they're not worried about, you know, the calm security side of it and the tactical performance and all that. They just need something basic. Right. Um, well, at the end of the day, you know, like bottom line is like having that is better than not having it. Absolutely. You know, but then also even to take that one step further, right? Having that and then having like the resources, the skills and knowledge to like use it effectively is going to be better for you. Sure. You know? And then the second application to that, and it's not something I've practiced myself. It's something I keep telling myself I'm going to do is that if you're an individual who's who preps for more EMP style scenarios, putting a bunch of Baofangs in a fairway bag or box is a really good way to preserve the, the fact that you have some sort of comms if something were to ever happen without breaking the bank. Because at that point, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people's radios are going to be fried. So you're not as worried about the comm security side of everything. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, the Baofengs, whether you're talking about the 82 or the 5R, super inexpensive. Um, so you, mm-hmm. you put 10 of them in a box and you you really are not that deep into it financially. Right. Um, but moving along, you know, are you, are you a DMR or are you a P25 guy in your own personal take? So I am neither, mm-hmm. personally. Okay. Um, I think that people get really like wrapped around the axle about the different technologies that are out there. I mean, there's DMR and P25. That's only two of the very, very, very wide variety of 
different radio technologies that are available to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that you can't really over, like, you're going to do, you, you shouldn't, like, over-index on any piece of equipment, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the capabilities. Mm-hmm. Each, if you take an objective look at each different technology, everything has its capabilities and limitations. And you just need to really make an objective assessment about those capabilities and limitations and the situations where you can best employ them. Um, so I have no love for any form of, uh, you know, radio or technology. I think they're all best suited to their specific application. That is the most unbiased thing anybody's ever said on this podcast, <laughs> which by the way, cool. uh, you didn't hear the intro. So this is episode number 20. So you were the big mm-hmm. special guest for number 20. Awesome. Hell yeah. So, woo. Um, yeah, I really haven't messed with DMR much. And maybe it's on me because I haven't diversified my comms equipment or capabilities as much as I should have. I've really kind of dove in heavy to the P25 and AES uh, side of the house. And I've been trying to get everything in line there. Um, There's two Mm -hmm. big projects we're kind of looking into right now, which is a repeater, um, which I wanted to bring up repeaters as a point of conversation and mm-hmm. man packs. Uh, I've been talking a lot of the guys in the forbidden comms chat. I've been talking yeah. a lot of guys one-on-one about um, man pack platforms. Cause uh, the tech prepper does a lot of good uh, man pack videos. However, mm-hmm. f- depending on the application that you're looking for with man packs, security could be of concern. Um, so we're trying yeah. to design a man pack around the XTL 5,000, which is a Motorola that's AES-256 yep. capable. Um, but the biggest thing we've run into so far, and this kind of goes for all of our comms projects, because I'm trying to implement comms the way I knew how to do it in the military without the infrastructure and equipment, is that the civilian market lacks some equipment depending on what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, what, what's your kind of take on the civilian market as far as equipment availability goes so far? Do you think in the future we see things open up more? Or do you think we kind of ride the same line right now? That's a great question. So I think that there's, you know, demand signal going up for more durable, more capable equipment within the civilian market and kind of this, this shift in this wave um, of new users is going to influence, you know, the ham radio market a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those rules are open to, um, you know, I guess changes mm-hmm. depending on, you know, what, how the FCC sees kind of the market, but, you know, advocating for change is really going to be on us as the users to, um, you know, advocate for those things that make us more prepared and stuff like that. Um, but as of right now, you know, the way that the market sits, the barrier to entry for like the encryption and stuff like that by the FCC is that part 90 business license, mm-hmm. you know, the equipment is out there and in terms of like secondhand or whatever, um, to be able to encrypt your radios, but they do put that active like barrier to entry there. And honestly, it's for good reason as well, you know, because we have so many people, um, competing for spectrum, uh, within, you know, the RF space and by allow, you know, by opening that door to encryption to a wider audience, then they're kind of limiting. They're basically, 
you know, people are going to use encryption and then they're going to monopolize the spectrum, right? So mm -hmm. there's no way to prevent that. So that's really the problem. So if we can, you know, come up with smart solutions and advocate for, uh, you know, smart, effective solutions with the FCC and with the ham community, then I think there may be, you know, a good, good path forward for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cause we're all in this for everyone's, uh, you know, good, uh, best, uh, safety and preparedness, you know, and that's one of the big things that kind of I foresee limiting the the comms market for radio equipment and infrastructure is that, like you said, the spectrum is only so big. It's not like kind of like tactical gear, whereas for like from 2000, 2010, it was kind of crappy, kind of like where we are in, in comms right now. Like if you can get some stuff, that's awesome. But the average person doesn't have the access or knowledge to do a lot. Mm -hmm. um, without learning from a direct individual who knows a plethora like you, uh, comms and logistics, uh, and you know a lot of those other guys. But with the with the uh, limited spectrum, that that might hinder the market's ability to grow, especially mm -hmm. as things become more and more and more digitalized. Now, right. I guess the good thing with the way the radios have kind of shifted over the years is that, like a lot of government and first responder agencies have moved away from VHF and those lower UHF bands to higher bands, the high UHF, like the seven, 800 megahertz and, and even yeah. past that, um, you know, so I think, I, I think there's, there's some limitations to it. It, it can go either way. I, I definitely don't foresee the rules becoming more relaxed. Uh, I unfortunately mm -hmm. see that there may become more rules or more limitations put in place. Because mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, it, the unfortunate side of it all is that comms will be politicized at some point in time. Mm -hmm. Just like gear and firearms are and, you know, yeah. everything else. I mean, even at this point, you know, they say, you know, if you're too much of a prepper, you're an extremist. So I, yeah. I feel like that, that eventually, once this becomes politicized, there will be an effort to limit it, which will be very unfortunate. Yeah, that certainly will be, you know, because it's, you know, like the Second Amendment is our, it's our right. It's in the, uh, you know, it's our natural right. It's in our, uh, constitution. But, you know, there's no right in terms of communications. I mean, we have the Fourth Amendment, which is a great, um, place to advocate from. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I do agree with you. It's probably, you know, too optimistic to hope for, you know, any change or, or relaxation of the rules and stuff. But, you know, I will say I think the best course forward is probably to advocate, uh, you know, honestly, my perspective is probably changing on this, but joining, you know, your local ham community and being the change that you want to see within the community, mm -hmm. right? Because we've kind of identified the, uh, you know, the way things were and the way that we want things to be. So I think that, you know, you can be the ad, anybody can be the advocate for uh, change. It's funny you mention that because I recently found a fairly active ham radio club in my area because I was looking up my local area repeaters again, and I saw they added a P25 repeater that's in construction, and apparently it's being overseen by this ham radio club. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, I don't have enough tasks and responsibilities on a daily basis already. You know, what's one, what's one more? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never, I mean, I've never been in, are you in a ham radio club for your local area? I've never been, I, I don't know what they're no, like. Not. No. I wonder, I'll hit up some of the other guys and see if they know what it's like. 
do you know what it's like? What are they? What is the what? It, what does a ham radio club do? Um, I think there's you know it's widely varying depending on what kind of club you're a part of and the personalities that are within that club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that they usually have like pretty regular roundtables or meetings on repeaters and stuff like that. Um, events like ham fest and um, you know, if there's, uh, for example, like farmer's market in town out in Joshua tree, uh, the local ham club will go set up there sometimes and, you know, try to, um, recruit people and stuff like that. But I think it's really personality dependent. And really, I think a lot of people within those communities will find, you know, maybe a little bit older than us, but are a lot like us in a lot of ways, you know, they're mm-hmm. preparedness minded, uh, type people that are often, you know, involved or interested in the gun community. So where do you think it's, it's kind of good you bring this up about the gun community is at what point in time do you think the gap started to be filled between the gun community and what we're now seeing in the development of comms? I feel like that's kind of like mm-hmm. within the past year thing that's become popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, so really like when I started the, the Mojave repeater thing, like I Start obviously just marketing on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, and it naturally like fell into place. Like I, I just, I've only known the gun community through Instagram and that was a familiar place for me to be. And that's where I kind of saw the value in, you know, providing the things that, um, you know, I wanted to build or, or sell to the community to make more capable individuals. And, you know, the community really, you know, just like, really like that a lot, you know, like, and we've seen that with all the other com pages that have come up that the community has taken a serious interest in this topic. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, both just personally, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, from being in the military and stuff like comms, isn't like the sexiest thing mm-hmm. in the military, right? Like we're the big freaking nerds, but, um, you know, just to see the interest in that has been so rewarding. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember like talking to, um, you know, terminal armament, like when we had both like very, very, very small followings and just to see it grow has been just so incredible. Mm-hmm. You say that, you know, comms isn't super sexy and in the military scheme of it, it's not, um, not unless you're like a JTAG or something cool, mm-hmm. but we just did a little field exercise recently, me and my buddies. And we implemented um, kind of the radio operator's role or just a whole comms table to, you know, the tabletop exercise. And we're actually Mm. passing traffic over radios and reports, maintain a comms log, a radio book, like all the whole nine. And the guys found it super interesting because it was like this whole spectrum of stuff that they did not know. So they had to learn all of it and it was super engaging for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it put into good perspective to them, like how important the role of radio operators, both in the field and a talk, you know, wherever it might be, you know, how important it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we'll start to see, I think we'll start to see more change in that. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people, both, you know, individuals, influencers, um, community-based groups, and it seems like a lot of people are kind of waking up to the change in communications and are taking on a bigger role with all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of shows 
the overall change that the community has made. It's just outside of gun stuff and 1R1s and flat ranges and whatnot. We're diversifying and growing to a more self-sustainable you know, version of what the community used to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. And I like what you brought up about uh, doing the tabletop exercises. I think there's a lot of value in doing something like that. You know, like wargaming, TDG, uh, those types of things, and then implementing the communications, um, just so people can get a rep at that. They can see, you know, what it's like, and the friction that you experience. You know, when you implement radios, but then also the value that it can provide, um, and then really the fact that you need to practice that. That's like a pre- well. It needs to be a well-practiced skill to be able to be effective. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't. We don't have a ton of like more high powered base stations and mobile man packs and stuff like that. So what we did was though we are all transferring over to Motorola's and a, a fair amount of us on the P 25 scale. Now I took a bunch of bow fangs that we used to have. Um, and I put electrical tape just on the top of the antenna, like a little square, a little box. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote like what channel or purpose that radio is supposed to be serving as if it was its own mm-hmm. dedicated net. So then the radio table had three different, channels that they had to be monitoring that corresponded to different individuals, people, groups, whatever it might have been. So definitely super engaging. And that's one of the other nicer things about Baofengs. You know, it is a cheap training tool Um, because I always tell people to train to a higher standard or whatever the next step might be. Okay, well, the next step, you know, we have, we're, we're transferring over our portables. Cool. What's the next step? All right, use of repeaters, man packs, um, base stations, stuff like that. We're not there yet, but let's try to mimic like we can get there. That way, once we get to that equipment, we're not starting from square one. Right. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, You know, and let's dive in, I guess, to repeaters a little bit like that. I mentioned that earlier. Um, Do you primarily, just in your own personal uh, time, do you go off of like your local ham radio clubs uh repeaters and other repeater infrastructure or do you prefer to kind of create your own infrastructure because i know you guys have the lunchbox mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i prefer to have you know my own infrastructure in place mm-hmm. um and you know like that's something that i think you know it's it's good to be able to Number one, just for general situational awareness about your environment in your community, to have an understanding of where those local repeaters are at, you know, physically. Number two, where you can reach them uh, through your radios themselves and really any environment that you operate in. So anywhere you go in the country, right, to kind of develop that situational awareness about that environment, whether it be, you know, just for outdoors purposes, like let's say you're going on a hike to bring that radio with you and to practice, um, you know, being able to just even listen in and to see and understand where you can listen in from. Um, but I think that that's only one part of the equation, right? I kind of see comms as up and out and down and in, right? So for the up and out, when I need to reach out to other people within the community, then I'm gonna wanna have awareness about those local repeaters and then for down and in, when I'm talking about me, my business, my family, et cetera, personal preparedness, then I think it's important to have your own infrastructure in place. But it's a blend and a combination of both um, to be able to be most prepared. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is how vast repeater, how fast some repeater networks really can be, specifically for like first responder departments. Because um, if if it wasn't for the repeater systems that we have, none of our handhelds would work mm-hmm. um, very far at all. Especially here in Kentucky, where I am, you know, south of Cincinnati, it's extremely hilly. I mean, it, the elevation is very extreme here. Um, mm-hmm. It's up, it's up and down all over the place. So regardless if you're using VHF, UHF, whatever it might be, if you're talking on like the mobile and, and portable side, you know your range is already going to be limited as it is, and then you have to consider, you know, what kind of equipment am I using to begin with? Um, so repeaters is definitely something we're looking to dive more into. But man, digital repeaters are expensive. That, repeaters, yes. is, repeaters can be a very expensive game depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point about, um, you know, like the handhelds and and the range and the infrastructure involved and stuff like that. You know, like I'll have a lot of customers that come from a public safety background where they're using, you know, their fire radios or or law enforcement and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people, you know, they might be aware of repeaters, but don't have really that appreciation just because they don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for what actually goes into that right like the linked repeater networks for public safety systems i mean you know county state federal like at that level those repeater networks there are towers all over the place you'll never know you'll never see them probably Mm -hmm. um but they are all you know linked um and that really is what provides that range and that coverage for the handhelds within that that network you know but it's so much infrastructure that goes into that. There is, especially when, especially if we talk to like linked repeater systems, like how you're talking about, you know, depending on how big of an area you and your group or your preparedness group or whatever it is you're trying to speak of, you know, if you're, let's say you're, you're spanning a, a region, like you're a three county region, kind of like a tri-state, we'll call it a tri-state. If you're spanning a tri-state, you know, one repeater may not do it for you, especially depending on your, on your terrain and your elevation. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you start talking about, you know, trying to put a repeater every 15, 20 miles. And if you're going digital or DMR or something like that, it can get pretty pricey pretty quick. You know, you can do the analog side of it because the analog repeaters are much more uh, affordable. But then, you know, it's kind of the old saying, you know, give some, gain some. You know, if you're mm-hmm. used to operating with encryption, um, and you got to give it up to gain repeater, you know, is that, is that worth giving up, you know, a greater coverage space, but less security. And I think that's something a lot of people got to start looking at, you know, is the bigger picture of the comms plan. Mm. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, to consider is like when you start talking about that kind of range and, and coverage in terms of like the planning, you know, what is, what is the transport look like between those two sites or however many sites that you're trying to link, right? Because then you kind of have to ride the IP network, right? Which a lot of people don't have a whole lot of faith in, you know, you have to connect via either the internet or, you know, do some sort of uh, satellite backhaul, or let's say, uh, for example, you know, maybe your, your best bet because you're concerned about, um, you know, failure of the internet or something is, than just linking repeaters through a third link radio, right? Like a linking base. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's definitely something to consider and then adds to the cost, you know, considerably for that system. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really new to the repeater side. So I'll ask you on this. 
we're, we're, when we're talking about linking repeaters, if you want your repeaters to all act, say, on the same frequency, say I put three uh, repeaters up, they're all 15 miles apart in some sort of triangle or diamond formation, whatever it is. Um, do you have to link those together with some sort of third-party source, or can I just set the receive and transmit to be the same for all of those repeaters and link it that way? How does that work? So if you set those to be uh, you know, the same receive and transmit, that's fine, but you know, they're not going to communicate, right? So basically, once you're within the coverage area of one repeater, you're only going to be able to reach people within that coverage area. Now, in order to properly link them, you need to tunnel that traffic through the internet or, you know, through, a, like I said, like the third linking base radio that's mm-hmm. going to provide that linkage um, between the two so that all the traffic is common amongst all three of the repeaters as opposed to, you know, just wh- when you're within the coverage area of one. Gotcha. So, you know, from the preparedness aspect of it, if guys are trying to plan out their comms, they're, they're, they're developing their comms plan, would you say it's more... Um, indicative to link it through the internet and have a linked repeater system or would it be better to have multiple repeaters on different frequencies and have that part of the comps plane where it's like if you're in this area you're in this defined region you need to set your channel to this repeater and then if you travel you need to set it to this repeater right so that's called roaming when you you know have your handheld and you know most uh, modern handhelds do have roaming features built into them. When you're within, you know, a certain coverage area, it will select one repeater, and then you move to another coverage area. It will actually select the other repeater. But um, I think there's, you know, a place for for both of those things. And then really to add on top of that, what I would say is HF comps, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the answer to the long range communications. Um, you know, there are so. You know all these things that you kind of get into like the ham community right with these things mm-hmm. but um, when you're talking about like linking repeaters probably the most affordable way to do it is through a device called an MMDVM or a D- DMR hotspot mm-hmm. so th- those kind of devices provide that uh, network backhaul so you can link it into plug it into your router and then connect it to your repeater and then it will tunnel that traffic through the internet now those those devices, though, you know, limit you to ham radio talk groups, typically. Um, there are some other ones like Shark RF, for example. They make hotspots that are basically for, you know, commercial businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could have, like, private talk groups on those. Um, now, um, what was I going to say here? So that's a good solution. Now, the other thing you have to consider is then how you're linking that to the Internet, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have much faith in whatever your internet infrastructure is, let's say it's cable, maybe consider something like using a Starlink terminal, right? Is that more survivable? Uh, Depends on really what your threat model and what your uh, preparedness, your outlook on preparedness looks like, right? What you're preparing for. Um, Or use something like a BGAN terminal, right? So those are relatively affordable, um, but lower data rates and more expensive plans than Starlink. and then really, then the other answer, like I said, HF comms, I think that should be something that you absolutely invest in and practice um, if you want to take your preparedness seriously. Because I could you know, get on an HF rig and talk to somebody in Texas from here in California, or I could talk to somebody in Japan 
you know, you, there's no limit really to that. Once you understand how to operate HF comms, you know, as I'm sure, you know, uh, from your background and experience, that was one of the coolest things as a radio operator when I was a young boot was like, when I, I, we did a little exercise just in like the lot of our S6 shop and we talked mm -hmm. to Okinawa with HF. And I was like, how the, I think it was mind blowing to me that we were able to do that. Hell yeah. Um, the thing I don't understand about the civilian side, um, and maybe it's just because I'm too tactically minded at this point is, you know, what is the security answer to utilizing uh, HF? Like if somebody mm -hmm. were trying to develop that more wide, uh, wide area coverage and linking repeaters prop maybe isn't the answer because, you know, internet and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, what is the answer to security when it comes to HF? Because to my to yeah. my knowledge, all of it is analog, is it not? So it's there's actually not it's not all analog. So there are uh, digital modes for HF, um, and that's something that you know you should check out the tech prepper. He's got a lot of great content on that and the uh, project that he's been working on, the MCOM tools, MCOM tools. Um, but that's you know digital HF communications. Now, when you're talking about like the security aspect of HF, there are HF radios that you know, can support AES-256 encryption. Um, and ALE modes, you know, just like we use in the military, like 2G ALE or 3G ALE. Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously that has to be prefaced with the fact that when you're talking about like limited availability of spectrum, it's mm -hmm. even more limited in the HF range. You know, yeah. HF is only three to 30 megahertz and there's only so few frequencies which exhibit the properties that you need to do good skywave propagation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if everybody starts going out and just starts talking encrypted on HF, nobody's going to be able to use it. Yeah. So just understanding that, obviously, in an emergency scenario, the FCC has that backstop in their rules that all rules basically go out the window, right? Mm -hmm. When life um, is at risk, then you, know, you have to do what you have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. So understanding that, but then just being prepared with the right equipment to be able to do that when you need to um, is going to be important. Now, I will say, though, that it's a serious, serious investment if you start going down the rabbit hole of looking at secured HF communications. Like, we're talking on the order yeah. of magnitude of four or $5,000 for a rig that can do that. When you say digital HF, are you referring to what we think of as in digital and P25, or are you talking about a different digital, like more data? Um, so there's data modes. Yeah, and that's really primarily what... Um, digital HF is used for in the ham community. Um, so for example, like some modes for sending emails and, you know, position type data, stuff like that. Um, and really uh, the right person to talk to about this, because I'm not so well experienced with the ham radio digital modes, mm -hmm. but um, definitely the tech prepper, he has a lot of good content on uh, the digital HF modes for ham radio. Okay. Um, yeah, I had to get him on here too. Before my account got deleted 57 times, I used to talk to him all the yeah. time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I always think about the security aspect um, to all of it. And, and not necessarily just for the paranoid, like the government's evil type thing, but even like when I think of the many extremist groups that are in the U.S., left, right, doesn't really matter at this point. Um, I see that they also are trying to develop their own capabilities and whatnot. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, that, that worries me at times is even just from the preparedness aspect is my comms being used against me mm. in a sense. Um, and that's, what's always kind of worried me about diving into HF is at least to me. And it may be just cause I have a poor understanding of HF from this perspective versus my Marine Corps perspective is it just seems so unsecure. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, am I wrong in saying that or? No, I mean, you know, it's primarily like, you know, the, the average citizen is going to have, you know, who, who's operating on HF, it, it's going to be, you know, your ham radio uh, type equipment, which there's no, you know, security to that at all. It's mm-hmm. all open, you know. And then the other thing too, you know, is finding the utility in HF as well. And so that's why, you know, I don't really have, a lot of like, and a lot of people within the community probably haven't had a lot of interest in ham type stuff because, you know, a lot of it, like you might get on 40 meter or 20 meter band, and then you're just sitting there listening to guys just make contact all day. And there's really no utility to that in terms of preparedness, right? Mm -hmm. So finding the utility in that, you know, once again, the tech prepper does a great uh, little series. It's called uh, No Random Contacts, right? Where he's... Yeah, he's intentionally trying to make contact with a specific call sign to really exercise his skills to be able to do that, right? Because you can shoot over somebody, you can shoot short and, you know, or whatever, your antenna design is not set up properly, so you're not going to be able to hit them. So, you know, I think is what's really most important. This puts a lot of things into perspective, and this kind of all goes back to my thing where I was talking about, you know, it seems like independent self-reliant comms equipment for what you may be trying to accomplish can be limited mm-hmm. but ra- radio in general is always limited I mean, you know that so there, there's always limitations yeah. to comms whether it's the spectrum you're talking on the equipment the weather wants to be weird that day it doesn't matter there's always limitations mm-hmm. um, I feel like outside of the tech prepper and a few of his man packs i really haven't seen anybody develop any more man i haven't seen anybody develop any man packs for like the tactical environment on the civilian side Mm -hmm. with like with with that kind of stuff in mind the biggest part that i struggle with to begin with just when i'm trying to write up some designs for like the xtl 5000 was just antennas to begin with Mm -hmm. Um, because the xtl 5000 you know you know is the is all mobile based so trying to find antennas that can handle the power, even if you scale it down to like 10 watts from a man pack perspective, instead of, a, instead of being mounted to like a car roof or something was already difficult. It was, I ended up finding, you know, one that I think will, will suit the needs, but then at the same time, I don't know. I always, I always question the, the comms that I'm, that I'm trying to accomplish. Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to accomplish something that is, not accomplishable in a sense right i think that's a good point you know just kind of interrogating like the purpose behind what you're doing as well um and then trying to apply the right solution you know like so for example um you know what does the the man pack radio buy you Mm -hmm. right so in my mind you know if you man pack like a vhf or uhf you're buying increased power output right Mm -hmm. And so to understand really the value that you get out of that, um, I think number one, you can kind of mitigate a lot of those things 
uh, using handhelds by just doing the, the proper planning. Um, but then, of course, just knowing that five watts is only going to take you so far, right? You have free space path loss, which is uh, going to tell you, you know, how far uh, your your radio signal will actually travel through free space. And, um, you know, doing the planning, understanding those principles of radio wave propagation and free space path loss and link budget uh, are good to help you be successful with handhelds. And then what does what advantage does the power give you right so you're talking about like a man packable mobile radio you know your power output is never going to defeat terrain right so that's where the planning comes into play but it will give you range with good line of sight yeah so that's where the value really stands for me my big thing with the man packs when i was you know thinking of the purpose and what is it trying to accomplish was you know i identified that we're on a limited budget, which means limited repeater infrastructure if we dive into repeater infrastructure. So my mindset was, you know, if we, with proper planning and utilization, if we're utilizing a um, set of equipment that can already increase range through power, if we're utilizing it properly, you know, with elevation and good line of sight, we have better chances of hitting a more scattered repeater system as it is. That was really the main reason the man packs kind of came into the thought. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point because, you know, when you're planning for repeater systems, right? Like there's a reason why a lot of repeaters max out at 50 watts output, right? Like most repeaters are designed for 50 watt output because, you know, you have two types of systems. There's either one that's all ears or all talk, right? Like it can listen very well. Um, or it has that sensitivity to listen very well, but, um, or what I'm trying to say is basically like, you know, it's only going to be as effective as far as your handhelds can reach back to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, you know, if you're using mobiles in conjunction with a repeater, then you can increase that range. Right. So like 50 Watts output on a repeater with five watt handhelds is only going to get you so far, but Mm -hmm. 50 Watts, Hand, uh, portables or mobiles rather with a 50 watt repeater is going to get you even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, the big thing I'll have to dive into now is the whole linked issue with repeaters. Cause I did, I did not know you had to link your repeaters through the internet. Obviously that within itself is a self-reliance uh, issue as it stands. Cause you can't depend on the internet. Mm-hmm. I feel like every time I dive into comms more, I come out with more questions that I came in with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, don't think- forget, you know, you don't have to just like link over the internet. There's creative ways to do it. Like, for example, you know, linking with that linking base uh, mobile. It's basically like a, a mobile that you attach to your repeater and then you use like two directional antennas pointed at each other. And if both of those sites can see each other, and you ride that third uh, frequency as the linking base, then you know that's another way to do it. And some uh, mobile radios have that functionality built in, like for example, the Hytera uh, HM782 can act as a linking base for Hytera repeaters. So it's a very powerful uh, tool to have to you know build infrastructure that's still totally off grid. Interesting. See, now more questions than I came in with. <laughs> Good. That's the that's the never ending that's the never ending game. Another big thing I find 
a challenge as far as equipment wise because I feel like manuals aren't super descriptive with this kind of stuff is trying to is trying to create things in house like going from one radio with a certain antenna port to a different antenna with a different antenna port to achieve a certain goal and you need different you know configuration pens and whatnot and that's that's been another like huge part of this game is trying to find parts to match to parts to create something yeah because that's really all comms is, is just a giant game of creation. Right. And, you know, like what I found uh, in regards to that is like, you know, working closely with our maintainers in my unit and like, you know, those guys are like some of the smartest people uh, in regards to radio stuff. And they don't even know, like they understand, you know, power, like, you know, just to be able to provide power for your equipment is such a huge problem. And they understand, you know, 12 volt power, 24 volt or 120, um, and how to be able to power equipment. They understand, you know, the, the connectors, the cabling, um, you know, being able to repair and replace cables and actually maintain that equipment to like that minute level, soldering skills, um, skills with a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, um, spectrum analyzer and things like that. You know, those guys are so smart at that stuff. And like I have in my garage, uh, just this chart that uh, one of our maintainers made. Uh, really good dude, super smart guy. But it basically just breaks out like all the different connectors, the frequencies that they operate best on, how much power they can handle, um, and all stuff like that. And I use it all the time. You know, if I'm making like cables and or making a selection about what port I want um, on a radio or something like that, based on what frequency I'm operating. And that's the other big thing that it took me a while to learn is that when I was in the Marine Corps and I was a radio operator, like, I didn't truly understand comms. Like, I knew how to set up our green gear that it would work based on the little manila folder that, you know, my gunny gave me or whatever. Yeah. Now I've had to learn how comms works and why. And that's been one of the biggest things I've had to learn is what frequencies are best for what purpose, even within a single band. So like mm-hmm. VHF, you know, understanding the lower end frequencies are better for this and the higher end are better for this or, you know, so on and so forth that everything has, everything has a purpose. Everything is not just blanket statement. Like this is comms in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great point uh, that you bring up. Like that to me is like the biggest disservice to Marines is like coming out of the schoolhouse I, I don't know about your experience, but like I felt like coming out of the schoolhouse, did I have a good understanding of RF? Absolutely not. You know, um, it was like some basic radio operation, and, and like you know, you're going into into the field, and you have to make promises about what you can and can't do, and like you know, you don't even fully really understand the the principles behind what you're doing, and it's like you know, to have that foundation. Um, can help you to be a more creative and effective radio operator. And I just feel like, you know, our Marines don't get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like it falls onto your senior leadership in your shop to like actually teach you comms. And that's if they teach you comms, mm-hmm. you know, some NCOs and staff NCOs kind of just, you know, ride the wave and are like, all right, set this up. Like you never truly mm-hmm. leave understanding what the hell is going on? Right. Um, like I felt like for the longest time, my, my lack of not, I had such a lack of knowledge 
that even just like the basics of, you know, the different spectrums I had wrote down, written down in, in my notepad that I kept in my cargo pocket. Cause like I just was not learning how comms worked in a sense mm-hmm. that I was never remembering anything. I just remembered, set this up, plug it in, hit these buttons in this order, power it on, boom, it's good to go. Yep. But I didn't understand how everything worked. Right. Definitely. And, you know, back to the point before about maintainers is like, I feel like those guys understood it absolutely the best. Mm-hmm. They got rid of the maintainers, didn't they? No. Them no. Not when I left. They were still around. When did you get out? Uh, 2022, so okay. recent. I feel, I thought they got rid of one of the, S, the S6. Oh, they got rid of wire way back when. Yeah. Like right after I got out of the schoolhouse, they got rid of wire. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Damn wire dogs. Hmm. So to, to that point as well, like, you know, so now they have, the 0631s, the 71s, so the data and the uh, systems guys networking, right? And then the 21s, obviously. Um, but, like, you know, when I was there, too, like, we were trying to really what was happening, I really just kind of naturally is, like, a lot of guys who are motivated or whatever, we're going to basically cross-train between 21 31 type stuff. Mm-hmm. So... To me, like I see like radio, I think it's so important for people to have a good understanding of radio and networking as well, you know, because that the combination of skills between radio and networking is so important, like to be able to take a radio and then to provide like an IP network over that system, Mm -hmm. you just unlock so much capability. So Mm -hmm. I think that really understanding the networking is is huge and being able to cross train in both of those skills is very important. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of goes even to hit back onto the civilian side is diversifying your comms mm-hmm. knowledge and kind of like what we talked about earlier is diversifying your equipment and, and to be truly proficient in comms, not to show bias to any one system or mode yeah. or frequency band and, and so on and so forth. Um, now, you are kind of somewhat limited in the frequency band, specifically from the civilian use, and, and I don't know what your stance on, on it is as far as compliance to FCC rules and whatnot. And for everybody listening, no, I'm not I'm not telling you or not telling you to break or follow FCC rules. Those are your own personal uh, decisions, but know that there are consequences sometimes to decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are kind of limited you know, cause so much of like the seven and 800 band and above is like for like first responder networks, you know, the HF band, like we talked about is only three to 30 megahertz. Um, so you're kind of stuck in a box in a sense and you kind of got to figure it out from there, depending on what you're trying to yeah. do. Again, I guess this all goes back to, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. If you're just trying to make contact with other various people in your area and what you're doing is not sensitive at all, and you're not worried about giving out any type of information, you're just kind of a ham radio guy, then yeah, none of this is really of concern to you. Um, So yeah, it really all comes down to what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're in, we're stuck in a box in a sense, but also, you know, there's so much that we do have access to, um, to be able to utilize as just everyday citizens, you know, whether it be unlicensed frequency bands, ham radio bands, or let's say you're a business owner, 
you know, I think that really a lot of the power um, and capability is unlocked for business owners and and those people who are part of those networks. Like, you know, make radio a, a significant part of the effort in your business, like implementing those things, because those part that part 90 license can give you access to be able to use a lot of different things like encryption and systems that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do in ham radio, you know, with your network within your business. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think we do have access to a lot of stuff that people don't fully appreciate, right? Like being able to get the most capability out of what you have available to you, I think is awesome. Like until you've reached that absolute like ceiling, then you should still keep trying to learn more about it. You know, I'm still learning more every day. Like, mm -hmm. um, there's so much that we can do within that box. And then, you know, eventually, right, like until the situation necessitates it, then you can go outside the box, right? Like mm -hmm. when the FCC says an emergency or whatever. But, um, you know, I think that we can definitely do a lot with what we have available. Does the HF side have a voice digital mode or is that all still analog? Um, so there are some like digital vocoders for HF. So, for example, like when you're talking about um, the uh, like the encryption modules, right, for HF radios, talking about like high dollar, you know, big investment type stuff, they basically all work by converting your analog voice signal into a digital voice signal mm -hmm. and then doing like an ALE or something like that, like an ALE modem. Um, and then it will encrypt that digital voice signal. Um, what and so, so go ahead. What, what did you call it? A digital vocoder? Yep. Vocoder. I'm looking this up because I, I want to like see what I'm looking at as you explain it. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. No worries. But yeah, so that's how, you know, they operate. And really that is digital voice with HF. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's a digital voice mode for like ham radio and it's like escaping me right now. But yeah, I don't think there is. I think it's mostly like, cause yeah, if I'm ever on like hand bands or anything like that, it's all AM single sideband. Mm -hmm. I see the word codon a lot or codane. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yep. So codan is a manufacturer that really does like military grade transceivers. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe they're based out of Australia, but okay. they resource a lot of militaries worldwide, you know, with HF equipment. Digital, these digital HF radios are expensive. Sure are. Very expensive. Although, oh, that's AliExpress. I don't want to mess with that. Uh, how much, so these vocoders, are they a larger device on itself or is it something much smaller that you utilize with your analog radio? Yeah, so there's a couple of uh, things you can do, right? So there's inline encryptors like inline digital vocoders which basically plug into the audio port um, of your radio and then go between like your handset and your audio port oh. and that will digitize your audio before it gets to the radio and then it will transmit it over that uh, wave right mm -hmm. and then there's um, you know just chips that you can install like in a radio like for example uh, icom has uh, hf radio the f8101 and there is a chip that actually lives, you know, on the motherboard of that radio um, that does the same thing. Interesting. 
see, this is what I'm talking about. You, you come in with a question, you, you could leave with so many more questions. Yeah. Because now I'm questioning my whole VHF man pack prototype. Because there's probably. I think it's not. a great thing to explore. The vocoder or the VHF man pack? VHF, still definitely. Man pack, yeah. The big, yeah, I guess really the only the big, the big thing with that is the limited range. Because obviously mm-hmm. you want your man pack to be, you know, that extended arm of comm. Mm-hmm. And VHF is already line of sight as it is. So if you're not working with a repeater network, it may not, it may not work to how you may want it to. Right. Well, I think there's, you know, it's like a weapon target match thing, right? So like there's certain, like, you know, with certain weapon systems, you're going to be able to range certain distances. And so, you know, like for example, your AR-15 or M16, right? Like 500 yards, 800, 880 to a area target, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're going to want to step up to the next system that can be able to range that next threat, right? And then there's systems that you wouldn't try to, that have longer range, but you wouldn't try to range a, like, closer threat, right? If that makes sense. So I think everything has its place, right? Like the handheld has its place, the VHF mobile radio, whether it's man pack in a vehicle, that has its place for what you're trying to achieve. The HF rig, that's a separate you know, thing entirely. So, you know, I don't think, you know, you need to like abandon anything, but explore like all these options and then apply the appropriate solution where it kind of sees fit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely hit you up offline because I, I definitely have more questions about the, especially the, mm-hmm. the HF side of all this. Um, yeah. One of the other big talking points I kind of wanted to get to was uh, just general tips for those that are trying to be, you know, the RTO of their group, whether it's a preparedness group, whether it's like a community-based group, whether it's a, a family of like-minded, uh, you know, members and whatnot, you know, what are some some good tips and advice you would give to people taking on the RTO role? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some good tips for people taking on the RTO role. That's a great question. So I'd say, you know, number one, be an advocate for communications. Um, number two, it's so this is a tough question because there's so many widely varying um, situations that somebody can be employed in. Sure. But in the most general way to kind of approach this, I would say, you know, be an advocate for um really number one, like self-education, right? So you're going to have to really invest in um, educating yourself about these things and then sharing that information and education with the people uh, around you. So like, that's one thing, like in my courses, right? I can't teach every single person in this world. It's just not feasible. But what I like to do is like, you know, the person coming to me, coming to my course, I tell them, you know, to take the material home, right? There's nothing, you know, proprietary about it. Like take it home, you know, thank you for coming here. Take it home to the people that you care about and share this information and knowledge with them. So I think education is super important. Number two is to be an advocate uh, because once you start to understand the value that radio skills and knowledge can provide to you, then you know you can understand how that impacts certain situations and scenarios where you might see yourself employing that. 
and how that can be effective for others. So it's your uh, responsibility to be an advocate to help make other people assets to the team as well. Mm -hmm. um, investment, you know, in the equipment, I think understanding capabilities and limitations of equipment and how you would employ those is important as well. And then investing in like the skills and knowledge outside of just handheld radios or mobile radios. Like there's so much outside of that, that like I'm sure you can attest to from being an RTO as well as like being prepared, um, understanding planning, right? Being prepared with your equipment in terms of like maintaining that equipment, right? SL3s, right? We did that stuff. Mm -hmm. SL3s and, and objects, uh, PCCs and PCIs, developing TTPs for your family, your team, et cetera. Um, and then like I did a video, right, recently. I don't think it got that many views because it's not like the sexier part of radio comms. But, you know, like developing a radio team kit, right, that's one aspect of it is like being resourced with the tools and equipment to be able to succeed, you know, in the field, right? So like there's that's one aspect of things. But yeah, I think those those are some tips that I would probably leave somebody with. And there's probably a million more things that I'm just not thinking of right now. But yeah. I think that's probably a good start. Is your very first point, which was, if I, if I remember correctly, was be an advocate for education. Mm -hmm. And you brought up take home material and whatnot. Um, we do the same thing for you know the company ECT for our medical classes. Mm -hmm. Is we send everybody home with a laminated front and back guide to march. And we specifically tell people in the class, you know, take this home to your family and whatnot and just go over with them what you learned here today and buy a little trainer medical kit and do march on each other at your house. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think I think that's awesome because take home material is is super beneficial because looking things up on the Internet is one thing and reading through articles and all that kind of stuff. But actually holding something in your hands that an instructor gave you, it's almost like there's a direct tie to that moment, that memory that they were talking about what you're reading on that paper. Mm -hmm. And it like creates that, sh that stronger essence of remembrance and whatnot. Um, yeah. When I was on civil Sentinels podcast last week, we talked about this as well. And my biggest thing I think I said for RTOs was whether it's self-taught or you learned it from like a professional standpoint that you were in at one point in time was, understanding how to write and manage a communications plan. Mm. And like you said, that goes way past handheld and portable radios. You know, you're talking about what frequency bands you're using, how we're going to utilize it, how often are we changing over uh, what frequencies we may be on, what encryption are we using, you know, so on and so forth. So being able to understand the many in-depth parts of a communications plan is is super important just at the very basic role at that mm -hmm. very basic uh um standpoint yeah absolutely and uh i wanted to bring up something as well that you mentioned kind of just as you were starting that this uh line of thinking was um you know you said to like resource them or, or students right with the like that uh printout right that laminated printout for march mm -hmm. but then you also said to you know tell them to practice that. And I think that's so important as well. And I would add that to the list of things that I would recommend for people is to come up with scenarios that you can put into practice, you know, like to actually exercise your equipment with those people, get them involved, get them interested. 
um, you know, and practice those skills in like a field setting in a practical environment. I think that's so important as well. Mm-hmm. Practcap is huge. Um, it, it, regardless of what it is, comms, medical, so on and so forth. And, you know, my guys, like I talked about earlier, this little training exercise we did recently with all my local guys, you know, actually practicing, putting everybody, every single individual through the role of the RTO team. Cause we need a buddy pair on the RTO table at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, getting everybody that practice and putting them through it and whatnot builds not only the knowledge and the skills to be able to perform those roles if they need to do it, but also an appreciation for those that are performing those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause not everybody it's it's like the old saying, not everybody can be a door kicker. Not everybody can be the medic. Not everybody can be the comms officer. You know, there are specialities that people have to take to become a well-minded, you know, group of individuals, mm-hmm. um, whether that's friends, family, whatever it is. Uh, but having that baseline understanding is super important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Alex, um, we've covered a lot. You know, the, the yeah. comms, the, the comms episodes, I try not to make too long because this is a lot of information for, for people to hold on to. Definitely. Yeah, it goes deep. It goes deep. There's really no end to comms. You can, mm-hmm. we, we could talk about different comms stuff for hours and hours probably. Yeah. Um, what are the best ways people can find you? You and I guess Mojave Repeater more specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm pr- most prominent on Instagram, I guess, but really uh, what I've been trying to invest in limited time in a day, but I'm, I'm trying to put out more video content on YouTube because I really want to be able to, you know, provide that skills and knowledge to a wider audience. Um, I want people to benefit from it. So I'm trying to put together valuable content on YouTube, you know, obviously totally free for people to go enjoy and, and watch. And hopefully they take away something that can be valuable to them for their personal preparedness for themselves, their family, um, et cetera. So please, you know, to, to the audience, I encourage you to follow on YouTube and check out the videos and let me know what you want to see as well. You know, like I'm open to, um, you know, I, I read for my audience, obviously I leave comments and stuff like that. And, um, I'm definitely open to hearing your thoughts on what you want to see in YouTube content. Awesome. Do you guys have any upcoming classes that the West coast guys should be, uh, be aware of? Yeah. So let's see here. So the next West coast class is going to be, um, April. Let's see. I'll just pull up the calendar real quick. So West coast is going to be April 15th and 16th in the Hollister, California area. That one's going to be pretty cool because it's at this off grid ranch location, uh, where there's lodging available or, you know, camping if you prefer to do that. But uh, we stay for the whole weekend, and we just nerd out on comm stuff. Um, so that's April 15th, 16th in the West Coast. Um, going to Alaska, May 13th and 14th. There's still a few seats left for that one, um, which is, I guess, technically West Coast. I don't know. Um, May 20th and 21st at Core Vision in Bremerton, Washington. And then beyond that, I think they're further uh, East Coast courses. Okay. So you guys do make it out here to the East Coast too? Yeah. So I'll be in Ohio June 10th and 11th, which is kind of East Coast. Oh, really? Wait a minute. Hold up. What city are you going to be in? 
Uh, Cleveland? Wait, damn, you way up there. You said May 10th and 11th? Or yeah, I believe that was May 10th and 11th. A Wednesday, Thursday? No, 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 that's, that must be wrong. June 10th and 11th, sorry. Let's see, June 10th and 11th. Okay. Interesting. I got some buddies up there that are getting new into comm stuff, and I'm actually uh, setting them up with some digital handhelds right now. Uh, so I'll pass that along to them. They're up there in the Toledo area. I'm sure there'd be a few of them that are interested in that. Awesome. Um, well, Alex, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. This is really our first time we've really talked outside of a few Instagram chats. Uh, but this yeah. was fun. I'm glad I was able to get you on. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I'm glad to nerd out on columns anytime. Awesome. I'll definitely be uh, be hitting you up privately because I'll have some more more of those HF questions. Cool. Sounds good, man. All right. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, of course. All right, guys. That's all I got for episode 20, Conversations and Communications. As always, guys, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no. Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder